Welcome, Warren. That's my bud from the West Coast, the big W. Welcome, bud. Yeah, love you. It's for the website. Yeah, great. But we're enjoying the personal relationship right now, the encounter. It's relationship before function, Pastor. You taught us that last week. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome, everyone. What a great week. We end again to just consider this is us. And uh, we started with we are God's dependent people. We are gospel-defined people. We are a presence people. And this morning I'm going to be looking at we are a commissioned people with a kingdom agenda. We want to fulfill the kingdom mission that God has for us. And I'm going to do the text reading up front, and then I'm going to do little stories and just reference to the text itself. It's, my text is from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 21. If you have the Bible with you, I see at the ignited frequency the guys are coming with the written or the hard copy, and so they're instilling that to them to find it in the hard copy. If you have it on your device, you may turn there, but I also have it on the overhead. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. If you're a Christ follower, just let that sink in. He died and was raised for, make it personal, me. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Repeat that. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become? No, you've got to say it out loud. A new what? The old life is? A new life has been? Amen. You've got to believe that. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What a privilege. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be right with God through Christ. There are approximately 7.73 billion people on earth. Different languages, ethnicities, cultures, but all of them are made in God's image. God created every human being for the express purpose of revealing His nature in the earth. He was clear when He created them. 
So the original purpose of God's kingdom mission was to extend and establish His heavenly kingdom on earth. I repeat, to extend and establish His heavenly kingdom on earth. God does not only want to extend His kingdom on earth, but He also wants to establish it on earth. So in order for that to take place, we get to point two. He wants to administrate the earth, or what I would say is earthly colony, through the sons and his daughters, through his sons and his daughters. Those who he reconciled to himself, he wants to now use them to administrate everything that is in heaven here on earth. They are to be his agents of influence and change. God wants to colonize earth, to use an expression, with heaven. All that is in heaven, he wants to bring it to earth. It is clearly stated even in our Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. Let's look at the story of colonization. Oops. Hey. Hmm. So I'm going to go to, straight to the, uh, to, the bar, uh, to the areas of the Caribbean. So colonization happens when an imperialistic authority or power takes control over a territory with a purpose, the sole purpose to make it reflect and become everything that is in the imperialistic power. So from history we have the story. This happened in the Caribbean. So Great Britain colonized the Bahamas. Spain came and they colonized Cuba. France came and colonized Haiti. What is the essence of this colonization? The essence, I would say, is to make the territory like its imperial kingdom, its imperial authority, its imperial power, and therein to bring all those in the territory to pledge total allegiance to that kingdom authority. So the Bahamas speak English and they drink tea because of the influence of the English. The Cubans speak Spanish. They eat uh, uh, Spanish dishes. And you see the architecture. I love the Bonavista Social Club. So when I watch those uh, little videos, you see the beautiful architecture. But they are from Spanish origin. Haiti speak French. And the aristocracy drink wine and eat cheese. All this because of the influence of the empire. So how does this take place? It is by an ambassador of the empire moving into that territory and ensuring it begins the journey of becoming like the domain it was sent from. So there's an ambassador that is sent from England and he walks in there and everything needs to change. Everything needs to be shifted. Everything now needs to become like the empire. So the history is where they were driving on the right-hand side, they moved to the left-hand side because that was happening in the empire. So to colonize a territory is simply to extend the influence of the kingdom authority by means of ambassadors. God's original kingdom mission was and still is to influence earth with heaven. You agree with me? If you're not yet agreeing with me, at the end you will understand. Great Britain came to the Bahamas. Take note, Bahamas didn't go to Great Britain. It was heaven that moved towards earth. So likewise, Great Britain moved towards 
the Bahamas. Spain moved towards Cuba. France moved towards Haiti. This even happened in the southern region of Africa, and I'm not going to enlarge on that. It's a moment to drink a little water. So God wanted to ordain mankind as his governmental representatives on earth. Colin, using these governmental terms, Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of his government and peace there will be no end. Of his government. Every other government there will be an end to it. There was the Roman Empire. When we studied the book of Exodus, there was the great Pharaoh and the Egyptian Empire. And they all ended up mostly at the bottom of the Red Sea. God has a way of establishing his kingdom on earth. And he calls ambassadors by the reconciliation of the work of Christ to execute that. So of his kingdom reign, there shall be no end. Some kingdom domination came to an end when those in the territory rebelled. Remember Fidel Castro in Cuba? He rose up against what the Spanish wanted to do. He says, no, we're not going to take this. We don't want this. Get away. I want something else. And it was Marxism, which we would call uh, communism. And so in Cuba, and even in some Haitians, rose up in Haiti to rebel against France. This resulted in the colony or territory being disconnected from its imperial authority and power. The biblical picture of this rebellion happened in the Garden of Eden. Eden is meaning the presence of God. It wasn't a place per se. It was Eden meaning it was the presence of God where God's presence was. We even saw that in our study of the Exodus. God wanted to be present with his people, and so they built a tabernacle. You remember the story? and he wanted to dwell amongst these people. And this is an ongoing thing. God wants to be amongst his people. Those he called out, where they are, he want to be amongst them. So the biblical picture, as I said, is happened, the rebellion happened in the Garden of Eden. This is when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's authority and clear commands. So they became disconnected from heaven. God put them out of his presence. They became alienated, as Paul would write. Once we were aliens, alienated from the cross, but through the cross we are brought in to something substantial as ambassadors. See, alienation to ambassadors. So they were alienated from the presence of the king. The privileges of the empire was no longer afforded to them. This is when we see our God's missional heartbeat on display. And was culminated in the coming of the Son of God, who is the King of glory, Lord of heaven and of earth. In verse 19, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. A sober moment for you and I. Do we hold anything of what someone else has done to us so close and so tight? When this God who reconciled us, he's doesn't hold anything against us. 
Scripture says he's washed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He's buried in the depths of the sea. Your edge of the ocean you cannot get to to bring back all your stinkiness and your past because it's no longer. The slate is clean. Anytime the devil accuses you, you remember you rebelled against God, but because of our trust in what Christ has done for us, guess what? The slate is clean. And I appeal to you, even through that, if you're not a Christ follower, Christ wants to welcome you because of his great love into his family. We sang that song, death was arrested. This rebellious nature which leads to death was arrested by the cross. Ephesians 2 verse 2, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And verse 3 says, all of us used to live this way. Sad enough to say that. We all live this way. But verse 4 says, but God is so rich in mercy that he loved us. That's the position of the ambassador. He is loved much. So the moment sin entered the garden, all of creation fell in Genesis 3. The great vision of God began. Ever since that day, God's kingdom mission, his desire, his goal was for his kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So kingdom mission is the great work of his church, which he accomplishes by means of his spirit living in and through his sons and daughters in the earth. We have a mission as a church. We're not just to be set up in maintenance mode. We have a mission. We've got to go. We've got to go and tell others what Christ has done for us. Verse 14 says, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. This happened even before the foundation of the world. God already saw us in relationship with himself for the purpose of his creation to see us populate earth with all of heaven. So he no longer counts people's sin against them and he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back. Come back, be reconciled. To be reconciled means there was once a position where someone was in relation to. In other words, to be reconciled means to get back to its original position. And so Christ's work is to bring us, because of our estranged, our alienation from God, to bring us back to Christ. And that could only be done by the spotless Lamb of God one without sin, one without blemish, who, could, who died, who took our sin upon himself. He became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Hey? There's a beauty of this new creation. We have a new righteousness. Adam was created. He had the righteousness of man. But when we are coming to Christ, we have a new righteousness, a righteousness from Christ. So it's not, we can't boast on anything that we do, hey? says Paul in Ephesians. The only thing we boast in is grace because grace has done this for us. 
She's not a person. That's a quality, an attribute of God himself that flows from his love towards us to bring us to this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of our sins so that we could be right with God through Christ. Verse 21 is the summary of the gospel and its logic. I think it's amazing. In all of this, it's all capsulating there. So if nothing else, just keep that verse before you, what Christ has done. Hey, he died for us. I'll repeat that. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That is the position. That's this new status that we receive. And now he can work with us, move us, project us forward into reflecting all of him in the earth. Broken man can't do that. Fallen man can't do that. He's always going to do it with a brokenness. Oh, but we who are called as his ambassadors, we come with our wholeness of heaven. Not of ourselves. Nothing in ourselves. We bring it to earth. John Calvin explains that man resembles him, that is God, that in him God's glory is contemplated as a mirror. So it's that whole reflection. The moon doesn't have its own light. It reflects that of the sun. You and I reflect everything that is of the Son of God. When we walk out, we reflect that. The very image of God. God's nature is expressed in the very nature of His representatives. His ambassadors. They reflect the nature of their master. We created in His image. Genesis 1 verse 26. And God created man in His image. Image is similar in the Hebrew to the very nature of a person. Nature is similar to the kavod, to what is the glory, the weightedness of something. And so we who have the very nature, the image of God imprinted upon us, we've been restored back to newness. So God can reflect the heaven agenda through us to the earth. So when you rise tomorrow morning and you go to your place of work, what do you walk in with? The very nature of God into work. When you go into the school environment, there's no youngsters here now, but you walk in with the nature of God. Every area that you walk into, you take the very nature, representation of heaven into that place. So the priority of God becomes the priority of His ambassadors. We prioritize our lives accordingly. This becomes a practical emphasis for our lives. God established his priority at the beginning of creation and made it clear by his own declaration to mankind when Jesus came to earth. He reestablished God's number one priority. This should not surprise us to discover that God's priority for mankind is completely opposite to man's priorities. Let us read God's priority for mankind as stated by our Lord Jesus Christ during his first discourse introducing his mission and primary message. Jesus established God's priority for all mankind with several powerful and straightforward statements. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about, what, about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, it not, is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. This is Matthew 6.25. Notice this statement directly challenges Maslow's hierarchy of needs and contradicts its order. Jesus' statement also exposes man's defective priority and confirms our preoccupation with the less important. His admonition to us is not to worry implies that these basic needs for maintenance should not be the primary 
motivator. So we say, oh, Lord, how are we going to do this? I've got all these concerns. He says, now follow me. I will take care of all of this for you. But he starts off. He says, this is his priority. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Yet Jesus states God's number one priority is to seek his kingdom first. This is the most important statement made by our Lord. The kingdom of God's number one priority for mankind is that we discover and understand and enter the kingdom of heaven with this new priority always before us. It's always about him first, his kingdom first, his authority first, everything that happens. So take note, an ambassador doesn't do anything on his own accord. He always do what's happening in the authority or imperialistic authority and power. Just listening to the, the ambassador to, uh, from America in Great Britain, a little girl was interviewing him, and he says, I only speak what the president says I speak here. I don't speak anything on my own accord. That is crazy. You think about it. It's like, wow. That means I got to get to know him. Donnie shared it with it last week. We've got to go into his presence. We've got to hear his word. We've got to know him in fullness. This is my determined purpose, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, to know him above everything. I need to know him. I need to spend time with him so that I can reflect him in the earth. I can't read something that is not his word because the gospel then defines how I do this. The gospel, yes, it's the everything I walk out with. Yes, I need to contextualize what I'm going to say. So I need to find a new way of maybe doing that. But the basis is the gospel drives me to do this. It propels me to do this. And so here Jesus stands in Matthew chapter 28. So not only is there the priority to seek his kingdom, but his last command is our ongoing concern. Jesus came and told his disciples, he said, meet me in Galilee. And I'm sure going through their mind, they think, hey, what's up now? What, what is he going to be telling us again? You remember last time they were probably surprised he came onto the water. There was a fish fry going on. They got to drop the nets. You know, there's little surprises. They wonder what surprise is going to happen next. And so he stands before them. He says, so Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And when they gathered, even the text says, and some of them did not believe. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Let me just paint a little, little sort of a funny picture here. So you can imagine them standing there, James and Luke and John. I think, do we take this guy serious? And somebody say, yeah, because some of them came with an unbelieving heart, the scripture says. So what do we do? And you know the little thought that came to me? You remember the day we were on the boat? Yeah, I remember. And there was a storm. Yeah. And, yeah, but he was asleep downstairs. Yeah, but we told him there's a storm and we're going to perish. What did he say to us? And he got up and he said to the wind and the waves, be still. I'm highlighting something of the authority of the king of glory. He who came to earth, to earth, display this to his disciples. He says, now I have all authority. When you think of the wind and the waves, let's start there. He had the authority over sickness, over demons. Go through the New Testament. You see this. Jesus comes on the scene. Something is arrested when he walks in there. 
So something of the mandate of the ambassador is to walk with the same mentality. We go gospel-defined to arrest everything and bring it subjection under the kingdom of God. Finally, he wanted to fill the earth with his very nature. God's very nature is expressed in the very nature of his representatives or his ambassadors. I said in Habakkuk 2 verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How's he going to do that? Through the expansion of his church. We prayed early on. Wherever your people are, wherever you're going to send us, Lord, wherever we are represented, wherever we find ourselves, we bring about the very nature, the very image, the very glory of God into that place. This nature is love-compelled and love-propelled because we have been reconciled to God. We're reconciled to Him now. There's a different, like, you, know, you take that little toy and you, you wind it up, and now it's ready to go. That's what happens. We now reconcile. Oh, there's no loose bits now. We're all ready, not tightly wound up, but we're ready, set to go and do what He's called us to do. Being reconciled to God means that we are restored to our original status. We are resent, we reset to be sent, reconciled with new set priorities and a nature that embodies His message. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, verse 17, has become a new person. All our gender, everything we do is from this newness. Though Paul could write in Romans 12, he says, Now be transformed by the renewing of a what? Your actions? No. By your wardrobe? No. Renewed by what? Or all that you own? No. Be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word now becomes the dominant factor. We think on it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we have the mindset of Christ. We think like Christ, who thought it not robbery but took the form of a servant and came to earth. Christ's ambassadors are not lords. They are servant-hearted servants. They serve from a servant-hearted perspective. Think about Jesus. He says, now go into likewise. You remember the picture? He was washing his disciples' feet. And he said to him, do justice. That picture of that servant is the lowest form my Savior took. And he says, I want you to do likewise. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are the ambassadors going to get their assignment forward in their respective colonies? How? There's always a governor that comes from a position of authority and communicates this to them. The governor in the earth today is the Holy Spirit. He comes to fortify the ambassadors. I love Terry Virgo's little story, even on that art picture, where the king walks behind the army and he's poking them and he says, go on, on, on. He's doing that to us. He's going us, but it's a love propelling. He's moving us to action. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ we plead for Christ. Come back to God. Not to church, to God and foremost. So we gather as a people to invite you back to God. Come back to God. And in our togetherness, oh, there's a richness of celebration. 
as we rejoice in what God has done for us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Paul sees that he serves in a foreign land as a representative of a king. The king has a message. Paul is delivering that message as though God was pleading through him. That's how he delivers this message. As God is pleading through him. As a staff, we're working through a little book on discipleship. Being a disciple. And I kept just thinking through it over a couple of weeks. And I'd say, every person I see, I say, Lord, use me in whatever way, whatever big way or small way, to share your word. Well, well, in word or in action. Michael Green in his book on the whole thing of evangelism says, we use both life and lip. I know Francis of Assisi says, you know, do good and if needs be, use words. But we say we use life and lip because people watch our actions. I'll never forget a story by one of the guys who came to help me at our house, Aaron. I may have told you the story before. His name was Imlam when he walked into my house. I just had my back up. I couldn't do my floor. I said, Aaron, please, can you come and help? Well, no, it wasn't Aaron. It was Imlam. So Imlam, will you come and help? He introduced himself. Eventually, he couldn't do it, but he helped move the furniture for me. I could do the uh, painting of the floor. And then what was amazing of this guy, he, just the first words he said to me, why do you treat me this way? And I said, well, you created in the image of God. You're sitting at the table with me, and we had a breakfast. He says, everyone I go to, and hopefully it's not any of you, he says, they give me old bread and water. I say, what? Old bread and water? I said, no. I must give you what I'm enjoying. What I'm having around the table, you're going to enjoy with me. And you know what his words were to me? He asked me a few weeks later, he says, so what do you do? Because I didn't tell him what I did or what I do. I just, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. I said, well, I... A pastor in a church, you know, just to God's work. He says, so, well, he then sort of enlarged upon that, and he says, oh, so you're a pastor. Ah, oh, pastor, you know, pastor. I love Aaron, I mean. And then he asked me, can I come with you to church one day? Um, he couldn't make it to one of our meetings at the range, and then I had to do a talk at Weinberg, and he joined me there. It was on that day he committed his life to Jesus. You know what was his words to me? He said, you lived it, therefore I believed your story, not the other way around. As ambassadors, we live the kingdom agenda, then we speak it. But if we can bring that fast in line, let's do it for the king. And he's no longer Imlam, his name is Aaron now. So he renamed himself, I'm Aaron, brother Aaron. Come on, we want to see that. That was a small event. That's a small thing that happened in our space. So God is still doing this. Melanie had a story to share with us. So Melanie, I'm inviting you to come up and just tell us your story of how God uses us in small ways to reflect His kingdom. So we seek His kingdom. We realign ourselves to all that the kingdom's about. We recenter our priorities around that. And then we go and tell others about this. Good morning. Um, I once heard somebody say to me, we are God's only hands and feet on this earth. And it gave me a great time to think of how we could serve God in a simple way. I'm just a housewife. We have a home business. 
and I do the collections and deliveries that come to our home. And there are so often many people who get out of the truck who look at me in fear, some in confidence. And I just have this love to make people feel valuable because that's what they are. It doesn't matter who they are and what they're doing. And this one particular day, which was just very shortly, a little while ago, a guy came into, um, I invited him into the house because the things he was collecting were in the dining room. And I just chatted to him, asked him who he was, just got an idea of the background, which is something I do every time I meet somebody. And we were chatting and then he said, okay, I better go. And he got to the front door and he burst into tears. And I said, Edwin, what's the matter? And he stood there shaking and he said, my wife has got cancer. She's just come out of treatment and she can't sleep at night and it's worrying us and it's keeping us awake. And I said, come, let's go and pray. And I went, took him back inside and we prayed. And something so simple, a simple prayer, doesn't have to be anything elaborate. And he walked away and he said, I, I've never experienced this before. And he thanked me so much. And this week he came again to fetch some things that were ordered by his company. And he said, when I saw that I had to come here today, I was filled with joy because I wanted to hear about your Jesus. So sometimes when we speak to people, we might be the only Jesus that they see. And it's a simple thing to do. And I'm, I'm just a housewife. I'm just somebody who, um, I don't have any experience of being. You're Trevor's <laughs> precious darling. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Yeah, thank you, Mel. You may have something on your heart and you want to share it. You're welcome to come and stand right next to me. Just tell me your little small thing. Okay, don't hesitate. As I, I, as I conclude, Neil Cole writes, Why is small so big? Small does not cost a lot. Small is easy to produce. Small is mobile. Small is harder to stop. Small is intimate. Small is simple. Small infiltrates easier. Small is something people think they can do. Big doesn't do any, things, uh, any of these things. We can change the world more quickly by becoming much smaller. Remember the story of the starfish? I think it's in Augustine. It says, how are all the starfish lying on the, the beach? He says, how can I make a difference in this? He says, by taking one starfish and flipping into the ocean. You can make a difference in that star's fish life. So just something small this week. I'm sure some of you are thinking, oh, I've, you just triggered something in my mind. I want to go and do this this week. With this to make a call. All of you know maybe somebody who's not well in the church. Pick up the phone. Make that call. Be the very, reflect the very nature of Christ in all of this. So we do it starting in the household of faith, and then we move out. We reflect it here first well. This is where we come, as Rigby would always say, we come to calibrate each other. As steel sharpens steel, we get ready, and then we go and play the game away. Sunday's this time. We get sharper so we can go and do it well during the week. So as common grounders, it means four things. We learn to seek new things, practical things. We see ourselves as sent. And we steward our energies and our resources in a new direction. And as Mel just concluded with us, we start small. We pray that in every nation, Christ will be known. In every nation, 
I just want to re um, reiterate that song we just concluded with right now. Sorry. Um, Spirit of God, breathe on your church. I want you to just close your eyes right now as we do this. Spirit of God, breathe on your church. The governor of heaven is here. He's here to fortify the ambassadors. He needs to breathe in us a fresh wind. Just breathing deeply of the Spirit. Pour out your presence. Speak, speak, Lord. Not only through the preached word, but through the word that we will meditate on through this week. And we pray in every nation, Christ be known. Lord, start in my home first. Then moving to my neighbor's homes. Then moving our neighborhood. Then moving to the nation. Then moving to the country. Then moving to all the nations of the world. And may I be privileged to be part of that, even if it's just by prayer. And our hope and salvation is in Him who has reconciled us to Himself and has given us this ministry of reconciliation that we take to the world in love. Amen and amen. Thank you, Claude.